There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Elena Lowry, the Arizona Director for Common Sense Media. Welcome, Elena. Hi. Thank you very much. So Centauri and I were just, yeah, we're excited to have you on to talk about the important work that that y'all are doing. I have a uh, a two and a half year old and one on the way. And for a guy that grew up without the internet until when I was in college, there's a lot of challenges that we're going to be facing. So I know that your organization, it's a national nonprofit, and you are working to improve the media and education landscape for kids, families, uh, and schools. So we'd love to hear about how you found yourself where you are, but would also love just to hear a little bit about your career path. Oh, of course. And yeah, hopefully we'll be a great resource for you um, and your family. And for the listeners who have never heard of Common Sense, and there's probably a lot of them who haven't, basically we're the leading independent nonprofit organization that's dedicated to helping kids. And we help them thrive in our, as you mentioned, in this world of media and technology that we're all living in now. Um, Those of us like you who didn't grow up with a device in in your hand, um, we provide a lot of really wonderful resources for um, parents and, like you said, teachers, educators, um, anybody who's working with children and and needs to help navigate uh, this, this landscape. So... Um, I can tell you a little bit about my background. Um, I've always been really interested in the news and and in journalism. And I was one of those kids who was always asking why. So becoming a (laughs) reporter and a newspaper editor seemed to be the right path. But um, my my parents might tell you otherwise, but for (laughs) me, it was the right path. And I, you know, I, I knew it really from the time I was Um, you know, in high school, I was a reporter for the school paper, and I had a great mentor. And um, so it was just one of those things. And so I, you know, graduated from high school um, in the south of Chicago. And then I went on to the University of Illinois, where I got my degree in mass communications. And, you know, back then, and it was a while ago, um, there was really no print journalism program at UIC. So I was sort of convinced and had counselors that convinced me that broadcast was really really what I wanted to do anyway, because, you know, that's where the money and the fame and all that, you know, was. Um, And and that's the path I took um, until I actually did it and realized that that's not really what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) Funny how that works. So, I mean, I saw an actual classified ad for um, independent newspapers, and they were looking for an editor for one of their community papers. And I had never been an editor, but I figured, you know, how hard could it be? So I got the interview. I was yeah, I mean, you know, it's largely the same thing, right? Um, but I was hired immediately, and then I, you know, I, I felt like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what did I just do? I mean, I, I, I guess I, what, what's that saying? Um, fake it till you make it. Um, yep. So I faked it right up until that interview. Um, and I was responsible for publishing um, one of their weekly editions. I had no idea what I was doing. Um but I also, you know, didn't realize back then that it would lead to 
you know, my longtime position, you know, as editor-in-chief at the Phoenix Business Journal, but, you know, that position at that community paper gave me the opportunity to really meet um, some of the Valley's most high-profile, affluent, and well-connected people in, in the entire state. So I stayed, I stayed in independent newspapers for eight years, and they were some of the best, you know, that I've had in Arizona. Then it was time to move on to um, something that I thought was a better opportunity. And so I was recruited by the Phoenix Business Journal to serve as a part-time editor. And I did that. And at the same time, I was a full-time reporter. So figure out those hours, part-time huh. editor, full-time reporter. Yeah. Um, and I, it was it was fun, though. I mean, I covered hospitality and tourism and um, aviation and thinking, which was hilarious because I had never written a business or a finance story in my entire career so that was um that was baptism by fire um and you know i was thrown into covering things like the first america west bankruptcy um which i wasn't even sure what bankruptcy meant back then and you know <laughs> it was quite the quite the exciting and and terrifying experience um all at the same time but i you know i really loved it and i stayed at the business journal for 23 years and i moved up through the ranks um from reporter to editor and managing editor and then um, editor-in-chief. And, you know, over the years as the Internet grew and media strategy, as you know, shifted from subscription-based to free content, we moved from a, our weekly print publication to a digital daily, you know, we became a digital daily media outlet. And I oversaw that transition, making sure that, you know, we were still providing fair and balanced, you know, complete reporting about the expanding business environment here, which, you know, was booming. Um, so that was sort of my, you know, business journal career. And at the same time, I started serving as an adjunct professor at the Walter Cronkite School at ASU. And that was probably about four years ago. And I saw firsthand how young people were really viewing the media. And of course, this was at a time when the media was being crucified, as you know. So, the, you know, that, that twin rise of the smartphone and social media meant that our digital worlds were expanding and entertainment quote-unquote news <laughs> um, was you know really getting the majority of online clicks and and traffic and of course advertising dollars so you know I I had students actually tell me that they wanted to be the next Ryan Seacrest or work for TMC at TMZ and I, after those conversations with those students I realized I was sort of at my own personal crossroads and, you know, really decided that it was, it was time for me to think about something else. I mean, all of the, and, and you know, this, all of these media outlets were merging, daily newspapers were shrinking, right. and in some cases, um, closing down altogether. Um, you know, the business models for newspapers completely blew up. Um, and I saw the perver proverbial writing on the wall, I guess you could say. And so, you know, I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, and so I left the journal in just in June of last year, so it's been a year exactly, um, and I wanted to go find my next career. I had no idea what that was going to be, but in December, um, I had found an organization that was opening an, opening an office here called Common Sense, and I, they were looking for their first Arizona director, and it was literally... A, a job that was completely made for me and I went for it and I was lucky enough to be hired. So that's my, that's my that's very long winded background. That's my story. And Lynn, I, I'm, I'm curious, did you dissuade those students from those jobs? Like what, what did you do in the moment when they said they wanted to be the next Ryan, Ryan Seacrest or work for TMZ? 
well, very tongue in cheek, I asked him what they were doing in my class um, because it was a news writing <laughs> class. I mean, a legitimate news writing class. And so actually what, you know, truth be told, it, it opened up a really great conversation about what credible news sources were and what it looked like to be a journalist in, in this day and age. And, and it gave us um, we, some historic perspective. Um, and it, re it really opened up a, a, a channel of conversation that, you know, I hadn't expected or planned with the class, but um, it was a good conversation nonetheless. Um, there is room for everybody. Uh, but you really have to learn how to be a real journalist, a journalist first. Um, you have to know how to talk to people. You have to know how to collect the information and the facts and, and you know, connect the dots and all of those things before you can really even think about even being a Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, certainly. So that's, yeah. That's Roger that. I, yeah, I really, that I really. Conversation. I really hope that there's still room for everybody. And I was just thinking 20 years from now, the names on the buildings aren't going to be the Cronkite school. It's going to be the, the Seacrest school or, or, or whatever. And I don't, I don't I, want to make a judgment on that hope, one way or another, but. I hope not. I mean, yeah. I, I certainly hope that that's, that that's not the case. I mean, I, I do believe that the pendulum is, and I've said this to so many people and I think Centauri and I even had this conversation, but you know, the pendulum, I think, is really swinging. And, um, you know, thanks to the last political um, election or the last election and, um, you know, people are starting to see, again, the value of quality journalism. Um, I grew up in an era of quality journalism. I'm not ashamed to say that I actually was alive when Walter Cronkite was on TV. I was small. I was little. But, um, you know, that's who that's who my parents watched. And that's who was in our living room every night. Um, and I, I think people are really um, appreciating the, the value of factual content and what's, um, what's real versus what, what isn't. And so I think that pendulum is swinging the other way a little bit. Well, I definitely hope so, and I think that that's right. So, well, I, I know that, that, that through every aspect or segment of the population, we're all being, I think, negatively affected by social media and just how media is so omnipresent these days, if it's our devices or social media, all those kinds of things. Um, but I, I'm curious what, what you and your organization see as the biggest current problems as we're sort of in the infancy oh. of, of, of these things. Um, how much time do we have? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's there's a lot of things, and 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 I think you know most most parents, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and I think that's the problem for most parents and even teachers. They're just they're overwhelmed, right? Um, because there is so much out there, and I think, you know, I think when you start talking about social media, there's so many other areas you need to concern yourself with. It isn't just social media; it's screen time and general. Um, it's the amount of time that not only children, but even adults are spending with devices and with their face, you know, in, in a screen. Um, you know, I think you have to start looking at things like cyberbullying. You have to start thinking about um, protection of your data uh, for your children, not just for yourself. And we all know what kind of an issue that can create. Um, but, you know, parents don't think necessarily about protecting their kids' data. They don't necessarily think about not posting um, that photo on social media, um, you know, of their kids 
third birthday. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of information out there about what you can and what you can't do. What what I really love about common sense is that we really stay on top of things and we really try to help parents and teachers, um, like I said before, navigate their way through these issues. I mean, you know, I have parents that are concerned that they call with simple questions or they'll go on our website with simple questions like, what is TikTok? Um, you know, what is Fortnite? I mean, they just don't know. And, and other parents, you know, they're very involved in their kids' activities all the way around. And so even if they know what Apex is or even if they know what Twitch is, it doesn't necessarily they know, it doesn't necessarily mean they know how to help their kids balance their time with um, with screens and with these devices. So it, 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 there's so much more than social media. Um, we wouldn't, we don't even have the time to go into all of the different issues that, you know, that parents ask us to, to come out and do parent talks about, um, you know, like I said, cyberbullying, sexting, social media, all of these different apps, um, parental controls, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. I mean, there's just, um, you know, what, what should I let my kids watch? What shouldn't I let them watch? I mean, there's just, there's so many issues. Um, and somebody like you, who is a parent of, of a small a toddler and, and, you know, another one on the way, um, this is all staring you right in the face. So well, our yeah, website yeah. address <laughs> for you, George. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Commonsense.org. <laughs> Bookmark it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any, there's, there's no two ways about that. It, it is massive and, it's it's tough to get your arms around it, and as soon as you do, if, if you ever hope to, then everything's going to be different anyway. I was on the website uh, earlier today in preparation for our conversation, and there were sites and things that I, I didn't know. I didn't even know what they were. Um, right. And I'm I'm 40 years old, so 10 years from now, it's going to be even even harder, certainly. So. Oh, yeah. And so, then you're going to have our artificial Lana, intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'd love for you to talk briefly because, um, like you said, there's, an, uh, there's a lot that you can talk about, but the data behind screen time right now for both kids and adults. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Um, we did a, a research report, um, a study. Oh, gosh. I want to say maybe two months ago the results came out, and um, they were absolutely fascinating and frightening all at the same time. So the first thing, let me say, the first thing that um, I would like listeners to understand is that kids model parent behavior. Um, and so a lot of what we looked at and a lot of what we studied and focused on um, also had to do with parents. And so the new report was called the New Normal Parents, Teens, Screens, and Sleep in the U.S. And, you know, we're finding that the struggle is literally seeping into every aspect of your home life, life in general. Um, so we've all seen the studies that link poor sleep to, you know, mental and physical health problems, diminished academic and cognitive performance. Um, this is all real. And so we studied a thousand parents and their kids nationwide. And we found out that 68% of teens, okay, so you have a little while, George, before you have to worry about this. But 68% take their devices to bed, including a third who sleep with them actually in the bed. Well, it doesn't, that doesn't surprise amount. me at all. Is, yeah. No, but it's, but it's, it's ridiculous. 
so so for people and I don't know if it's obvious or not um, for me I, I've, I've been trying to pay close attention so we're talking about problems not not just from a lack of the ability to to have successful interpersonal communication with other people there's also physiological a lot of physiological problems that are going to stem from overuse of devices there's psychological the problems are way more than just being um unable to have a conversation absolutely oh yeah absolutely i mean you know and and centauri wanted me to go through some of the other statistics and and you can see you know so think this so more than a third of teens and more than a quarter of parents literally wake up and check their mobile device for something other than the time at least once a night. So oftentimes it's to check social media, it's to respond to a notification. So there is literally no respite from, you know, the glow of your screen and the day stress and social pressures if you're an adult. Um, so what is that doing that's interrupting your sleep? What is one of the most important things for kids? Their sleep. Um, you know, and, and in, in the study that we did, you know, parents were actually raising the flag on their own use. And this is, I think, where I, what I was saying about it being so important, um, you know, reporting that there's this deep increase in, you know, in the concerns that they have that they're spending too much device, too much time with their devices. And this goes back to what I was saying about that modeling behavior. Um, you know, the, the, the report itself, which you can find online, um, it really provides a lot of insight into even just the parent-child relationship around technology and showing that parents are concerned that, you know, mobile phones and tablets are taking away time from important activities like sleep, but as you said, other important activities like face-to-face -face conversation um, and being able to, um, you know, that, that sort of social learning and, and being able to have not just a conversation with one other person, but you know, being able to stand up in front of your class and, and, and you know, write, write, uh, talk about a book or, or a poem or, you know, all of the things that we had to do when we were younger. We had to get up in front of the class and, you know, and do a presentation of some sort. I and mean, those kinds of things, um, we're talking about issues that if they're having, if kids are having a hard time with that sort of thing today, what's going to happen when they're in the workforce? You know, what's going to happen down the road when they have to do, pardon me? No, please keep going. Oh, you know, you know, what's going to happen when they have to do a presentation? You know, what's going to happen when they have to go and um, ask their boss for a raise or, you know, for different responsibilities or all of the things that come with, um, I mean, so we're talking about like workforce issues. You know, issues that you don't even think about. I and, mean, you know, you've got toddler. You, you don't even think about those things. Um, you know, they're, you know and, you, and you worry about, oh, you know, there may be problems in grade school. Um, you hear about cyberbullying and, and those dangers. And, you know, then there's high school and, and things like that. But what about when you are in the workforce and you cannot have a conversation with three people in the room? Um, That's awesome. You know. We had a, um, there was a, an interesting article that I sent to you, which is about even on our screen time, there's screen time. Can you talk a little bit about that? That most people are on their devices it, while watching TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is something that people don't think about either. And, you know, when most people get home from work and, you know, they sit down and they, they turn on the TV, 
inevitably they have at least one, if not two other devices next to them. They either have their laptop and their phone, their iPad and, you know, or their Chromebook or, I mean, so it isn't just a matter of sitting down and watching TV, which in my, you know, when I was a little kid, that was the issue. You know, I grew up on TV um, and it was about having too much TV time. And, you know, what did parents do? They, they, you know, punished you by taking away TV. Uh, couldn't even take away the remote because there were no remotes. But, you know, that was the punishment. And, and now, I mean, you sit down and you watch TV, but your, you know, your other devices are on either side of you. And so that amount of screen time, we're talking about, you know, parents who are on their, who are on some kind of screen for roughly nine and a half hours a day, and kids are on their screens roughly nine hours a day. And for the most part, that doesn't include normal, you know, what I would consider normal screen time use. So you and I at work, their kid, the kids are at school, you know, it, it, it's above and beyond that. So if you think about and put in perspective how much time we actually spend um, in front of a screen or access to a device during the course of a 24-hour period, it's, it really is frightening. Yeah. And yeah, it just it's... sort of happened. It just sort it literally just sort of happened. Yeah, I think it's I'm certainly guilty of it. I'm I'm not I'm not above this at all. I I'm guilty of all the things that you've just described. I've certainly done and I'm trying to be mindful uh, and do less of it. So, what is what is the recommendation? It sounds like it's it's be mindful of your personal behavior because your kids are going to model it. It's educate yourself yeah. on on the things that are the biggest risks? Mm -hmm. Well, we actually, actually, um, we have a number of different, what we call screen time rules. We have specific screen time rules that parents can follow for young kids. So, you know, in, in your case, you know, choose the good stuff, you know, and not too much of it. And then, you know, don't use screens in bedrooms or right before bed. There, there was a big report that just came out that talked about, you know, how kids, can learn so much more from actually sitting and having you read to them from a book than something on a device. So a lot of parents will pull out the iPad and either read a story or play a game. And, and that's okay and there's a time for that. It's just not right before bedtime. Um, you know, turn off the TV if nobody is watching it. You know, how simple. You know, if, if you're in your house and you're all, you know, doing something else, but the TV's on in the background, turn it off. You'll also save on your electric bills, but that's, that's, that's a whole other issue. Um, you know, but instead, you know, make time as a family or as a, as a parent and child, make time for, you know, for that reading in a book. Um, enjoy the media together. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna turn the TV on or turn a movie on and you're gonna sit your kid in front of it, sit there with them. Um, and, you know, again, practice what you preach because we, we all know, and you know this, your kids are watching you. They're watching everything you do. And, and those are like five really, really simple tips. And, you know, as the kids get older, there's other things you can do to help them, you know, get the best out of that screen time because we're not here advocating take the device away. That, that is not what common sense is about. We're all about, you know, having kids um, create more than they consume. Um, and, and so, you know, focusing on learning so parents who can find, you know, those apps that are more engaging um, that go beyond sort of the traditional memorization and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
again, think about life skills as your kids get older. You know, some of the best media out there can, you know, can really teach your kids empathy and honesty and respect. I mean, again, think about us growing up watching Sesame Street. You know, there are now apps out there that can teach those same lessons. Um, and, and so, you know, make sure what you pick for your kids is that good stuff and is age appropriate and all of that. And, you know, and stay involved with them. It helps strengthen those emotional connections that you have with your kids. Um, it also, of course, lets you monitor what your kids are watching and intervene where you need to. And then, of course, you know, set the rules. You know, it's, any parent knows this. You know, you have to lay out a clear set of rules for your kids when it comes to, to the use of media and screen time. And, you know, have family guidelines that you all have to um, follow around device use, you know, and stand by them, really stick to them, enforce time limits and bedtime curfews and device-free dinners and all of those kinds of things. Um, you know, those are all really simple things that you can do as a, you know, for your family and with your family, but we get so busy and we, we just get so caught up in, you know, everything around us, all of the noise that we forget that you actually, you know, have really, really easy ways to um, diminish some of this. Yeah. Perfectly natural thing to, uh, to, to do everything you just described. Um, I think it's such a such a valuable thing in an organization like yours because it's taking something which can be overwhelming, but then it's just breaking it down into into bite-sized chunks. So you don't need to learn everything right, right away. It's just a matter of here are the resources, here's 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 the research that's been done, here are tools to help you be successful personally and then raise kids that are going to be successful in a digital age. So, so I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah I mean, think about this for a second think about this because you'll appreciate this. So because generation Z grew up with the internet and the oldest Gen Zer right now doesn't remember life before Facebook. Right. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> well, it certainly makes sense, right? I don't know what year Facebook launched. Is it like, 2005 something like that 2008 i think it was 2008 yeah 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 it's it's wild centauri and i do yeah. some work at uh with with grand canyon university and we were talking to some students who were freshmen and they were born in 2000 so that was that was that was pretty mind-boggling <laughs> the internet is yeah. all that they know yeah yep i mean the media media has had profound effects on every, you know, on children, on their social, emotional, their physical well-being, you know, just everything. And we just didn't have that, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago even. Um, so, you know, it's really important for parents to step up and step in and, and really help find that, you know, that balance for their for their families. Yeah. Either that or I could just go off the grid and move to Alaska or Canada or something like that and leave leave all this madness behind. You could try that, but I don't even yeah. think that would work. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah, there's been a... Probably not going to happen. So, All right, Elena, how, how, how can people engage with the organization? So we have a really rich, robust website. Um, and if you go to the website, um, which is commonsense.org, there's going to be three drop-down areas that you can look at. So we have a whole area for parents that includes a lot of the tips that we talked about today, different articles, um, the research, 
then there's another drop down for educators. But um, despite the fact that that's for educators, so we do actually have a K through 12 digital citizenship curriculum that we teach in schools across Arizona. And that's all free. All of our materials are free. The curriculum is free to schools that want to use it, um, including the professional development that we will come out and do. Um, so, so there's, there's that area on our website. And then we also have another area for advocates. And the advocates, um, those people who are really interested in some of the things that we mentioned early in our conversation about um, changing policy and things like data privacy laws and things um, that go beyond just, you know, obviously advocating for child well-being and, and ch good, good child health and, and all of those things, which we should all be doing anyway, um, it sort of takes it to the next level, really trying to uh, create legislation and laws um, that help that help kids. I mean, technically, um, Common Sense is the largest child advocacy organization in the country. Most people don't realize that and wouldn't necessarily put us in that bucket, but we really are based on, you know, what we're what we're trying to do. And so, you know, everything you know, everything we do is uh, for the most part free of charge. And you know, any money that's raised by Common Sense pays to deliver those resources to homes and classrooms, um, not just in Arizona, but you know, nationally, because we're based in San Francisco, we're a national organization. The, the office here in Arizona just opened um, in December of 2018, so it hasn't even been a year yet, but we have boots on the ground here so that we can help parents and, and help educators uh, through some of these issues. And, um, you know, we just want people to go to our website and they can even sign up. I mean, if you're a parent, you can sign up and get a very age-specific um, materials for your, for your child. Same thing if you're a teacher and you teach a certain grade level, you can get very uh, age-appropriate, age-specific materials for, for your classroom. Um, and then, you know, we have our movies, um, our reviews that we do, our ratings and reviews that we do of all media for kids, apps and games and books and movies and TV shows, parents can go on our website, type in the name of a book or a movie if they're not sure, um, you know, that it's something appropriate for their child. And then um, if we've, uh, we use independent reviewers and they will tell you whether the material is appropriate and why it is or why it isn't and give it a rating and all of that is free. Outstanding. Give us the website again. Uh, commonsense.org. Commonsense.org. Easy. Centauri, anything else? No, uh, Elena, I'm just so happy that you came on. I've been fascinated with this organization since it first got brought to my attention last year. So thankful for the things you're doing and uh, excited to hear about the progress. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Not a lot of people know that we're, we're here on the ground in Arizona, and this will be a great way to help spread that message and help us spread our spread our mission. I love it. Well, Elena, thank you so much. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. So go to commonsense.org and check out all the incredible resources that they have for not only your kids, but for schools, for advocates, uh, incredible resources to help tackle a difficult issue. So, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step. 
from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show.